Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to, oh, actually, it's not really an Arsecast Extra. It's sort of like a mini Arsecast Extra, but in the Arsecast branding and with me this morning is is James Goodly Morning. Ja- I don't know even if I should say Goodly Morning because that's the that's sole preserve. That's actually copyrighted, Andrew, yeah, I'm afraid. Uh, the guys at Arsecast Extra are going to come down and you look a ton of bricks Shit. if you say that. Shit. Okay, well, look, we uh, we will do as much as we can on last night's game, and uh, I've got maybe a couple of questions from our, our pals on the Patreon, on the Discord, to see if we can flesh out uh, this podcast for you. We're recording on Friday morning after Arsenal have beaten Bodo Glimt 1-0 uh, away from home. Um, a game so... Lacking in quality, James, I was convinced I was going to wake up to another another Adidas merchandise drop. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think people's wallets are still recovering from the last one. So there Which has was- been at least... A bit of mercy shown by Adidas. (laughs) Well, that was yesterday, by the way, when they uh, last dropped a a range of new merchandise, which I hovered over and then said, no, you won't won't do this to me. I have some self-restraint. You have to draw a line in the sand somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I was was this close to buying the the Samba trainers, you know, the Adidas trainers, the red and white. Oh, yeah, yeah. This close. But I don't really have any more room. Too many it's, as it is. It's, it's become a question of room, uh, which tells you how severe the problem is. So, look, it's um, it's a game I think that doesn't deserve or need a huge amount of analysis. Mm. But you know, away from home, one nil win, you get the points. You continue the uh, the unbeaten run in the Europa League so far. This season, so on that basis, it's like everything you wanted to tick off, you've pretty much ticked off. Yeah, the result is valuable, and you know they've got a tremendous home record in Europe, uh, Bodo Glimt, and mm. it's difficult circumstances, a tricky pitch, um, the kind of thing that we're unaccustomed to really in the Premier League, and so you know any sort of win is welcome. That said. It wasn't a hugely entertaining contest, and it was probably the worst Arsenal have played this season. I can't think of many other times this season where I've thought, "Oh, that wasn't that was a quite a bad performance." Actually, I think that's fair. I think that's yeah. fair because even when we lost against Manchester United, we were, I think, by far the better team on the day. Uh, the result didn't necessarily reflect that, and you know that's football, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But yeah, I, I think it's. I think if we're being like completely objective here this morning, um, which I don't normally like to be, but it's different when it's Premier League opposition as opposed to European opposition that you're not facing uh, time and time again. Like there's no great rivalry with Bodo Glimt or anything like that. So I can be more objective than I would be if it was, you know, a team that I truly despised. Um, I think they were unlucky not to get something from this game. Yeah, I think that's fair. They, I think they had probably the better chances on on balance. Mm. Um, There were a couple of opportunities they should have taken. 14 games uh, where they'd won consecutively in Europe coming into this. So I think for Arsenal to go there and come away with the points, you know, shows something about this team that they've found a way to win when, frankly, nothing seemed to be working. I think a draw probably would have been a fair result, but... I mean, we're not really interested in what's fair, are we? We're interested no. in what's good for Arsenal. Well, that's that's a fair point. What did you make of the team 
because it was a bit stronger than I had expected. Bakayo Saka started, Martin Odegaard started, Ben White, William Saliba all started. There were changes, obviously, in some of the changes that, that we expected, but it was a bit stronger than um, than I thought maybe it might have been. Is that perhaps Mikel Arteta saying, look, we know this is going to be quite difficult given the 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 traveling, given the pitch, given the opposition's record at home, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, a little nod to to how difficult they thought it might be. So you put some of the big players out there to try and make it a little bit easier. I think so. And for everything he's saying publicly, I think Arsenal are very determined to win this group because I think it will give them a favourable draw. You know, going into the next rounds, um, and so these points will be an important step, hopefully, towards achieving that. In terms of the actual composition of the team, I think it's kind of different factors at play. I mean, Martin Odegaard, someone who I always thought maybe he'll play, you know, it's in Norway. There was a lot of attention on him. Apparently, he told Arteta himself, like, he really wanted to play this game. And then it was, other than that, there was kind of rotation in who from the first 11 was involved because Gabriel, Shaka, and Martinelli, I think until this point in time, yeah. had started every game this season. Um, and they came out and in came the likes of you know, Saliba, White, uh, Odegaard, who I mentioned, Bukayo Saka. So there was a little bit of rotation in kind of the senior or first-team personnel that were involved. Um, still plenty of changes too. And I think much of that was just about keeping some sense of stability mm. from the good run going. Although, to be honest, it didn't hugely translate in the performance. No, it didn't. It didn't. I mean, it was a pretty staid kind of game. You know, mm-hmm. the, there were a couple of little early flourishes. I think Saka put in a low cross early on and very quickly Bodo Glimt went up the other end and did something similar. Rob Holding got a, a touch on the ball, which maybe took it away from from the attacker. But all in all, it was fairly uninspiring stuff. And I'm I'm curious as to, you know, what you think might be the reason for that, because Arsenal I, were by far the better team at home against Bodo Glimt. Um, the sort of win that was pretty comfortable, but in these circumstances, it wasn't it wasn't quite the same. The pitch is something that I've I've seen a lot of people talk about, and clearly yeah. there's a difference between you know the grass pitch and the the artificial pitch. Now the artificial pitches these days are really really good. They're a long way from the old plastic pitches that people might remember when Luton and Queens Park Rangers had them back in the day. These are these are very high tech pitches, but they are different and you could see that maybe in the way that the ball rolled, some of the passes were not quite to feet at key moments. Um and then there was the this sort of threat of like any second now, one of our players is is just going to collapse on the ground with some kind of terrible injury, and it will be entirely because of the playing surface, yeah. which I think is a little bit strange. Like, I know that they're not used to that, but, like, why aren't Bodo Glimt getting seven, um, you know, cruciate ligament injuries in every game? I'm not sure that aspect of it holds up as much as the actual playing surface it's, uh, itself being difficult uh, to to sort of judge when you're playing on grass every week. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one. You know, someone like Martin Odegaard, I think, would be quite accustomed to playing on these sorts of pitches, given his upbringing and the part of the world in which his football development happened. I saw someone saying on the day of the game, actually, they consider him the best artificial pitch player in the world. Wow. Um, yeah, but I'm not sure we saw that you know, I, no. I agree with you that Arsenal players looked like they couldn't quite judge the role of the ball, that the first touch seemed a little bit off. But the problem is that's also what happens when you're just not playing well. <laughs> so yeah. it's difficult to discern how much of that was the pitch and how much was just a team that were below par. Um, the the injury thing did worry me. I mean, you know, especially having gone with a relatively strong team. It's not that I disagreed with that decision, but it would have felt like a real... Um, twist of fate to then mm. lose one of those players, you know, in a collision or, you know, just to an innocuous injury on that pitch. Um, but I, I do feel like in terms of the selection, there's only so much Arteta can do really. I mean, yeah. without resorting to, you know, picking academy players, um, if he wants to keep using players from the senior setup, then there's only so much he can rotate. I, the pitch thing is interesting and I would have actually liked to hear a bit more from the players post-game about yeah. That surface and how they found it because ultimately they're the ones who could I think tell you in, in greater detail 
how difficult they found it to adjust to. Yeah, I do wonder what the the sort of preparation was in-house about playing on a pitch like this, because they do have a, an artificial pitch at, at London Colney. It's the the inside pitch, isn't it, the, mm-hmm. in the, at the training centre, um, which would, I imagine, be a very similar kind of surface to the one that was in, in use last night. Um, like, I wonder if in the sort of pregame talk there was something about reining it in physically a little bit because of worries about how the pitch might impact players when they run. Um, you know, maybe it's something uh, to do with, I don't know. It's it's just really difficult to understand why that particular pitch would cause more injuries, you know, when you see players pick up injuries on normal pitches as well. I mean, I get the concern, I get the worry, but but mostly it was about how we we couldn't quite get to the the rhythm of the game. But that might have been part of, like, it's very difficult to think Mikel Arteta gave an instruction to say, look, you know, go out there and give it about seventy two percent of what you're capable of. You know, you I don't know you can that you can actually prepare a game like that. But certainly, it felt like Arsenal were playing within themselves. You know, from a technical point of view, but also physically a bit. Yeah, and I found it interesting that after the game, you know, Arteta said there are a lot of things to improve, but he also said, I understand why this is happening. Mm. And I do wonder if, like, you know, was that something that was factored into preparation or did they accept that, you know, the performance might be a little bit below what we've been used to seeing? Um, I think the key thing really is that despite that, despite the performance not being up there, they still get the win. And as a manager, that's a real gift because... You know, it means that you have the comfort of the three points and everything that means for your progression from the group. Mm. But um, you've got a couple of things to work on, a couple of details to attend to. It's pretty ideal, really, um, and refocus the players ahead of Leeds on Sunday, which, you know, given our position in the league, uh, does feel like a... Uh, I, I'd hesitate to say a bigger game, but it feels like a game with more significant ramifications at this particular point in time because, you know, our league campaign has been so strong that inevitably that feels like where sort of primary focus is at this point. Well, sure. Like the group stage of the Europa League is something, you know, we have to, to go through. Um, I don't want to use the word endure, but like I said in the blog today that these games they're sort of disposable in a way, and that's not to be disrespectful to the opposition or to the competition itself, but it's just sort of the reality. They they mentioned on TV last night that Arsenal have only... Is it they've only lost one game in the Europa League group stage or one game away in the, in the Europa League group stage? And they said, and that was in 2017, away to Cologne. And I was like, I literally have no <laughs> recollection of that game <laughs> even happening, let alone the results. So, you know... It is, it is sort of when you're in inverted commas a big team and you're the team that's expected to top the group, you know, the the group stage games become this kind of homogenous part of the season. It's very difficult to remember the specifics of them. And I think this is potentially one of those games, although, you know, because of how poor it was, it might actually just stand out a little bit more. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I think it might become a kind of... Uh benchmark for a low quality mm. Europa League game it, but every Europa League game has its sort of uh, interesting elements and looking at that lineup before the game there were a few things that I was kind of like okay well I'm interested to see how that goes so you know Saliba and Holding were picked together mm. I thought maybe there was a chance Saliba might play on the left hand side yeah, of the centre back pairing same. Uh, I would have been curious to see that Vieira and Odegaard in midfield together you know, Vieira in that left-sided midfield position, I was curious to see how they combined, but ultimately didn't get a great deal out of them. And then like someone like Reese Nelson, who we haven't seen start a game in an Arsenal shirt for a very long time. Mm. But again, the opportunity somewhat passed him by, perhaps understandably. So even the things that you kind of ordinarily on a Thursday night would latch onto and think, well, this will be interesting, uh, conspired to be... Not that interesting. Yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, we had a question here, a couple of questions uh, on the Discord, and you mentioned his name there, Reese Nelson, starting his first game. I can't remember when his last start for Arsenal was. It must be a couple of years ago now. Um, 
Morton76, uh, Reese Nelson discuss, he just says, but Sir Simon King says, good morning, gents. I don't think many players covered themselves in glory, bar maybe Turner showing a bit of footwork and sweeping, and I think we'll come to him. He said, given that the overall level was down, can we read much into Reese Nelson not seizing his opportunity, or does he still need a couple of games to start showing some form? Um, and, and it's that really tricky balancing act, isn't it? It's when everybody's fit. If everybody's fit and available, Reese Nelson is not getting near the starting eleven for a Premier League game. So these kind of performances, these kind of um, appearances, are are all the more important for him. I thought he was okay. I didn't think he was bad, but you know, he didn't really do much to make you think, okay, yeah, there's something happening here. But then that was also true of. You know, Bukayo Saka, bar the goal, Eddie Nketiah, Martin Odegaard, Fabio Vieira. You know, there was not much going on in the attacking third. No, and, and Reese does at least have the excuse of having not played mm. match of football for a few months now. Um, there was one moment in the first half where he sort of switched on the afterburners and blew past a fullback where I thought, oh, wow, there's a bit of acceleration and power there that I'm not necessarily accustomed to seeing from him. Uh, but other than that, like many of the players on the pitch, the mm. game sort of passed him by. And I do I do give him a bit of a an out, given how little football he's played and the fact that he's making his comeback and, you know, he's not really acclimatised to, you know, regular football or playing it within this team. Um, but, you know, how many times can you say that of a player? And he's now mm. 22, be 23 before the end of the year. Um you know, had he been fit, would he still be at Arsenal? I'm not sure. You know, I think yeah. there's a very good chance that had he been fit to move, he may well have moved. Um, you know, he's kind of here almost by default, it feels like at this stage. And yeah, I, I it wasn't a game where he kind of stamped his name on it and made it a big impression that you think would improve his chance of getting Premier League minutes. You'd have to say that. Uh, Simpsons Arsenal also asked, are, are we playing Reese Nelson to genuinely give him a chance or to boost his value a bit for a sale? Um, so, I mean, it's, it's difficult to know, isn't it? Because mm. I think he's out of contract in the summer or does he have that plus one thing going on? I'm not 100% sure, but, you know, it, it feels to me much more like shop window than you know, take your chance and there's a future for you here. But look, who knows what might happen in the uh, in the remaining couple of, uh, or three games we still have to go in, in the Europa League group stage. Uh, yeah, and the League Cup game as well yeah, to come. That's true. Um, I mean, Arteta does have history with Reese Nelson. He's a player whose talent he's certainly always admired. And there have been times where he's shown a kind of proclivity for picking him. But, and I, I listen, I'm a fan of his talent. Anyone who watched him at academy level will mm. tell you how gifted he is. It does just feel like maybe, you know, that the ship has sailed for him somewhat at Arsenal. But I'd be delighted to be proven wrong, but I don't I don't see it necessarily at this point. Yeah, same, same. But look, hopefully whatever happens when he does get his chances is enough for him to, you know, to find his way again. I know he, he, he's had a difficult couple of seasons, had a, a reasonable second half of the season at Feyenoord last year. Um, and hopefully he can go on and, and find a, you know, a good place for him to play football on a more regular basis. Mm -hmm. The goal, Bakayo Saka, I mean, it's a touch fortuitous, isn't it? But it's possibly the, the moment when Saka burst into life, little give and go with uh, Albert Sambilokonga. Shot blocked, bounces back off him and into the net with the keeper on the ground. I mean, it's the sort of goal that deserved, in inverted commas, to win a game like that, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it was fitting. Yeah. Um, a sort of accidental ricochet. But, I, you know, Saka gets himself into a very good position and sometimes when you do that, you will get the breaks. Yeah. And I think as kind of ludicrous a finish as it was, having another goal to his name will help Saka's confidence. We've all said this season... You know, he started maybe a little bit below par, but now he's putting a run of goals together. Mm. Hopefully that will help him, you know, blossom into the season more. And uh, yeah, as long as he keeps taking up those positions, then that's a good thing. But yeah, it was slightly comical, I agree. It wasn't great. And he had a chance, I think, not long after the goal. He blazed it wide with his with his right foot. Eddie Nketiah turned and span and miskicked the ball. Kieran Tierney had a shot in the second half, which... 
I don't know where it went, uh, nowhere near the goal. It was like a showcase of the worst shooting you've ever seen in your life from Arsenal. I think it was symptomatic or emblematic or, uh, emblematic of the performance itself that not much we did came to fruition. And um, I think we T- have to... Tierney's shooting a lot more, by the way. I don't know if he's got a bet on about how many goals he's going to get this season or something like that. <laughs> well, is, it, is it because when he is playing now, he's playing in that more, that more central player. position? Could you know? be, because I feel like in almost every appearance he's made, there have been one or two quite speculative shots. I'm not against it, necessarily. No. But, uh, he scored a couple of belters for Celtic in his time. There's one yeah. doing the rounds in particular where you see he cracks it in from about 35 yards. He had a good shot against Spurs as well. He did. Um, but I think it's probably a consequence of that new left-back role where you're a bit more central and when the ball comes to you and there's a bit of space in front of you, you know, if you trust your left foot, why not? Why not give it a bash? What, what did you make of, um, you know, we, we talked about, I guess, um, on Monday uh, on the Arscast Extra, but Tommy Asu over Tierney, Mikel Arteta was asked about that decision. He said, well, you know, it's just a decision that we've made. Uh, Kieran accepts it like any other player, but there was an interview on the on the official site where Tierney's talking about um, you know how the season start has been a bit tough for him from a fitness uh, fitness point of view, and so on. And of course, when something like that happens, when a decision like that happens, people will say, "Well, what does this mean now for Kieran Tierney? He's been overlooked in a big game for for a right back, basically." Um, how do you view that? I mean, is that something that worries you, or are you a bit more like I am? I'm looking at it, going, I think this is actually really good that we have that that measure of tactical flexibility within the squad. I agree with you from a fan perspective that it's a good thing, and you know, I'm not sure that it's interesting. In that Tierney interview, he even talked about being, you know, whether I'm first choice, second choice, or third choice. I mm. found that language really interesting because. I, while he may have taken it like that, I didn't see it like that myself. I felt this was a specific selection of Tommy Asu for a specific opponent, um, being Liverpool and being Mohamed Salah. And I don't think that's necessarily the case that when Zinchenko is out, Tommy Asu is going to play left back. I think that mm. would be a simplification. Um, but I knew also that Tierney would take it hard because he's incredibly competitive. He's desperate to play, you know, and he'll see himself. Uh, as the best fullback at the club, best left back at the club, and mm. he'll he'll think he should play every single game, and he'll want to. Um, we know about him physically that that's probably not possible. So I think for him and for us, it's good that there's depth and there's variety and there's other options. And if it motivates him to produce more and mm. you know improve his performances, then so be it. But. I do think it's an interesting situation to watch moving forward. I just think Kieran Tierney's whole career has been a guy who's sort of been really integral to the teams he's played for. You know, at Celtic, he he wasn't quite the captain, but he was, you know, in many ways the heartbeat of the team. He had an incredible relationship with the fans there. One of the first names on the team sheet, played all the big games. I think that is his level of expectation for himself. And I, I... as the season goes on, and we'll see how much football he gets, but I think if he doesn't get regular football, if he feels like the team is evolving beyond him or past him or without him, uh, then I I do wonder if that will become an issue for him because mm. I sense that he's someone who for whom playing football and feeling like an important part of the team is incredibly important. I don't see him as someone who, in the same way as Granit Xhaka, you know, we talk about him as not being a guy you can imagine sort of being on the bench. I don't think Tierney in the long term would be comfortable with that either. No, I agree. I agree. And look, we don't know where the season is going to go. And we could be sitting here in six months time thinking, well, you know, we were a bit down the wrong path when it comes to Kieran Tierney because he could be first choice left back and playing amazingly well. That's what football can do. But mm. you know the way we've spoken often about like, you know, when you have a team that you you grow to like, like in the past, there are players where you go, I can't wait until we sell that guy. And we're in a situation right now where it's like every player that we could potentially sell is like, ooh, that's a bit of a wrench. I like him. He's a good yeah. player, you know. Um, and and I've, people speculate all the time. I, my sort of low-level gut feeling is that he might be, you know, one of the players who, as the team evolves 
um, is a potential departure. I could be completely wrong, and I'm just sort of saying what I'm thinking at this moment in time, but um, that's just sort of a gut feeling I have about his situation where where the sort of the role of left back in this team has become so specific and so defined that maybe when you're thinking about how you continue to grow the team, that's that's something that you consider. But I, I agree with that. I, I have the same mm. sense about it. But at the, by the same token, I'm also very conscious that there was a point early last season where, yeah. you know, Tierney was out of the team and we were having similar conversations. And then, you know, by the end of the season, he was first choice again, you know. And, and badly missed when badly he was missed. out of the team, yeah. So football... You know, uh, things change. And I think in this season of all seasons, with such a clear break in the middle of it, yeah. I think they're going to be big changes. Um, but yeah, it, I, I just think it's something to keep an eye on. Uh, and I was, yeah, I was. In, I found his interview very honest and very compelling. And that's one of the reasons I, I really like it. Mm. Bodo Glimt had chances. There was one towards the end of the first half. Um, Pellegrino... Yeah. Um, went through and curled a shot wide. I mean, it was a bad miss with just Matt Turner to beat. There was one where a guy cut in from the right, fired a left foot shot, saw back, and I think it was, put a left-footed shot just over. And then it was Espiord, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yes, with the sort of 70s moustache. Yeah, and <laughs> he had a... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, he had a very good chance to equalise, and that that probably should have been a goal. So when Mikel Arteta talks about things to do better and things to improve, even if he understands, I think he'll look back at that and and you know consider that aspect of our game was really well below par because it's you know. It's not been a feature of our football this season that the opposition get that many guilt-edged chances on goal. And like you say, you mentioned earlier, the Saliba holding partnership. Is that something that could work? Um, again, on a night when nobody played particularly well, it's, it's, it's hard to define completely. But I don't think they particularly gelled as well as we've seen uh, some of the other centre-half partnerships gel. No, they didn't. They didn't. And the, the back line was quite ragged at times which was surprising in some ways because mm. you had White and Saliba on one side who have been you know an important part of our first team if you can call it that our Premier League team mm. uh, and Holding is usually steady enough and, and Tierney outside him I wonder as well how much of that was to do with what was in front of them you know if you think about ordinarily you see an Arsenal midfield that has Thomas Partey and Granit Xhaka in it we had neither of those Mm. on the pitch, you know, Vieira and Odegaard with Sammy behind is maybe a bit more, well, substantially more lightweight. Um, and I do think that Sammy's defensive instincts are, you know, not at the level of Thomas Partey's. I don't think that's any, um, you know, it's not a huge mm. statement to make. So I think that was a factor too. But yeah, uh, it, it didn't work well from a defensive perspective. And Consequently, as you alluded to earlier, I mean, Matt Turner was, I think, one of the very, very few Arsenal players to emerge with, from the game with some credit. Yeah, I agree. He he swept up. I mean, it's not like he had a load of saves to make. Um, he did make one save in the second half where I think he got down pretty smartly, but the, the Bodo glimp chances, they were misses rather than saves by Matt Turner. But what, what I liked about him yesterday was how well he read the game and how decisive he was when he decided to come you know mm -hmm. there were balls that were dropping and I think this could have been part partly the pitch as well where players weren't quite judging the bounce as well as they should or would normally do and the ball was dropping not far outside the area or just inside the box or just outside the box and he came out and dealt with those situations pretty decisively I thought he did he did I mean this seems like a sort of strange thing to say but he did goalkeeper stuff really well. <laughs> I, I mean, like kind of old school goalkeeper stuff, you know, but I think, you know, his handling was good. His command of his box was good. Mm. There was one very pretty good save, I thought, low down. Um, another strong punch late on in the game. I think the starting position thing was impressive because 
bit of guesswork from me, but I would imagine he had a higher starting position maybe playing for Arsenal, playing in this team than he's mm-hmm. accustomed to. It's actually something that Arsenal really focused on this season. There was a good piece on Sky, um, a written piece on their website, I think yesterday, about how Arsenal are you know, substantially playing substantially higher up the pitch this season than last. And the kind of thesis of this piece was that William Saliba and his recovery speed has been key to Arsenal doing that. Right. Um, I think in general, it's a move Arsenal wanted to make and it's something the coaching staff spoke about quite a lot in pre-season, you know, being higher up the pitch, kind of a la Liverpool. What that does, it does place significant onus on the goalkeeper to have the right starting position and have a higher starting position. And not all goalkeepers are going to be comfortable with that. And I think Turner coped really well with that. Mm. Um, and yeah, this was a really, uh, this was a good, I think in the last couple actually of Europa League games, you know, he's had enough kind of goalkeeping situations and scenarios to show some competence, which I think, you know, I feel for him a bit because Arsenal's, recruitment record with goalkeepers in the last few years has been quite uh, mixed, shall we say. I mean, Aaron Ramsdale's sort of the exception rather than the rule in that he has come in and done rather well. Um, we've signed a couple of other keepers who haven't been particularly impressive in that period. And Turner comes with some of that stigma attached. But, you know, he is an international class goalkeeper who has been outstanding in the MLS and America's a country with really strong tradition of goalkeeping. So I was pleased for him that he put in a good performance. And, um, you know, I think <laughs> I think if Aaron Ramsdale was to get injured this weekend rather than last weekend, the sort of uh, gasps would be a fraction less loud. Um, <laughs> I, do you know what I mean? I still think I there's <laughs> a stylistic uh, difference between the two that raises some interesting questions. But I think <laughs> given what he was given to deal with on the night, I think I thought he did pretty well. It'd be awful, but not quite as awful as I thought last week. I know what you mean. <laughs> no, I do know what you mean. I know, uh, it sounds like damning with faint praise, it, but I just mean that I, I guess he's shown himself to be... Uh, there'll be a bit more trust and a bit more faith in him, I think. Look, I, I as I said last week after the, the first game, um, like what he sort of does with his hands... And his all-round sort of goalkeeping play, I don't really have any huge concerns about. It is with the ball at his feet, where I thought he was better last night. But um, I still think that is going to be the 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 thing that people focus more on because of what's expected from an Arsenal goalkeeper. Then again, when you know when we played Liverpool on on uh, on Sunday, a lot of what Aaron Ramsdale did was was kick the ball long. Um, that's true that is true but you know but I, I think I think sometimes people think that kicking the ball long is, I, is just I don't mean just get, yeah I, I agree I, do, I didn't mean to suggest he was just sort of getting rid of it it's the precision and the accuracy and actually the power with which Aaron Ramsdale um, kicks the ball I mean there's sort of an interesting comparison. I don't suggest that anybody go back and look at last night's game again in any detail because I don't really think it's worth it but when Aaron Ram- there's a difference between Ramsdale clipping a ball out to the right back or the left back and Turner doing it in terms of how the ball travels the yeah. pace of the ball the trajectory of the ball where Turner kind of floats them out Ramsdale um kind of I don't know not drives but you know there's a there's a bit more for the player to work with that extra pace on the ball gives the player receiving it a little more time to deal with it but when it's floated out you know you can get closed down a bit quicker and that's sort of a key difference in in that regard but you know what he did for the most part last night um sweeping up and coming out of his area was was very good so fair play Yeah I mean Arteta I think Use the word phenomenal to describe, uh, you know, some of the aspects of his performance. He said he thought his distribution was better in the first half than the second half, and in the second right. he would have liked more control. I, I genuinely think this is really interesting because you've got a player here who is 28 years old, has been a bit of a late developer in his career, although obviously with goalkeepers that's maybe slightly more um, normal. But it will be fascinating to see the degree to which he can at that age adapt and adjust to a new way of playing. And I don't rule it out because 
you know, you never want to put limit on somebody's no. potential. And uh, yeah, I think it will genuinely be really fascinating to see because if he can do it, you know, then he's got, you know, he's got a lot going for him. Yeah. Um, so fingers crossed. It's still relatively early as well. I mean, this is what a handful of games he's played it for Arsenal. So. Well, what do you expect? I mean, I, lo- I know we're jumping the gun here a little bit, but when we get into the knockout stages of the Europa League, what do you expect to happen in the goalkeeping position? Because those yeah, games then one. become more and more important. I remember you saying to me, maybe when we were doing like a season preview or something like that, about you know how the games are going to be divvied up between Aaron Ramsdale and Matt Turner. And we've kind of grown used to the the Premier League goalkeeper versus Europa League goalkeeper situation, mm-hmm. right? But when you have a, a, a clear number one and when the games become as important as knockout games become, do you not then have to basically play your best team in every game? Like if we've got a two-leg game and we win the first leg 5-0, let's say, then you can play Matt Turner in the second leg. But if it's a tight game, if the opposition is high-quality and you've got Aaron Ramsdale there, I think this is going to be where it gets a, a little bit interesting. I, I kind of expect Mikel Arteta to default to Ramsdale in the knockout stages of the, the Europa League. Yeah, I think some of that might depend on the draw and the circumstances. Mm. But there is some precedent, right? I mean, I know it was a different situation, but Bern Leno was Arsenal's League Cup goalkeeper. And yet when we uh, drew Liverpool in the semi-final, Ramsdale came in for that one. Um, mm. And I think we might see something similar this season. I mean, a lot of it will depend on how Turner continues to do. I mean, he's doing his case no harm at the moment in the group stages. And I think as well, you know, we're on the eve of a World Cup where he is in pole position to be America's number one. And I think these games are invaluable to him in that pursuit. Um, maybe after the World Cup, you know, there might be a little bit less pressure or mm. it might be less incumbent on Arsenal to, to give him those games. I think, yeah, I think you're probably right that once we get into the knockout stages or certainly the latter knockout stages, assuming we make it that far, I think we will see Ramsdale play. And, and that is the difference really with Arsenal at the moment. We've talked about this before, but, you know, last season with Leno and Ramsdale, it was really a case of two number ones. Mm. Um and I do think now there's a sort of clear number one and a, a deputy. And I expect Arteta to default to that when he deems appropriate. But, I mean, if, if Tony continues to play well, as I say, he's doing his chances of more football, no harm whatsoever. And there's the domestic cups too. I mean, sure. the League Cup, we mentioned, kicks off soon. And I imagine he'll play those games. So hopefully there'll be... Uh, enough football for him to, to make that progression that we're looking for. Sure. All right. Um, anything else from the game itself last night beyond just, you know, a win? That's good. No injuries. That's good. I think the players are arriving back uh, this afternoon from Norway. So not a huge amount of time to sort of warm down and prepare then for, for Leeds on Sunday. Mm. But that is the reality of this competition. It is. It is. And I was I was pleased to see Gabriel Jesus left at home, I have to say. Yeah. Um, Common sense. The right call, absolutely. And by all accounts, he's going to be fit and ready to go against Leeds on Sunday, and that's a real boost. Um, no, no other big conclusions, really, from the game. I thought, you know, I was looking forward to seeing Vieira. There wasn't a great deal of him in the game. No. But even, even so, I do like that in the course of the match, he played three different positions. I think... That does demonstrate, you know, quite what a useful signing mm-hmm. he is. Um, you know, he played kind of left eight and then off the right and then sort of in Odegaard's position, really, central creative playmaker. Um, but other than that, no, honestly, very little to say. Um, I, I mean, Leeds, I think, will be... Uh, I know we didn't play particularly well and perhaps we're lucky to win in this game last night, but I think Leeds will present a sterner test and will make for a sure. more entertaining match. That's for sure. All right. We'll uh, do more lead stuff in the preview podcast over on Patreon. Um, just a couple of quick questions to sort of finish us out for yeah, today. Sure. Then um, Dahlgren on the discord said, would you start Tommy ahead of big Gabby on Sunday? And it doesn't necessarily have to be that, but I did think it was kind of interesting that Tommy Asu didn't start 
last night, mm. which sort of makes me think he's going to start on Sunday, but where? Is it, you know, for Ben White, who started last night, or does he keep his place on the left ahead of Kieran Tierney? We don't know what the injury thing with Zinchenko is like, but it doesn't look like he's going to be available. So, I mean, do you see a place for him in the starting eleven on Sunday? I do, actually. I do. I think uh, I think he'll play. Uh, having just said, I felt thought that <laughs> it was kind of a one-off selection against Liverpool for tactical reasons. I think uh, he will start at left-back against Leeds. I even thought he had a good little cameo yesterday as a right back. You know, there were a couple of instances where he just won the ball really cleanly and you thought, oh, he looks like he's coming into form, actually. Mm. Um, so I think he'll probably play on the left side of defence. What about you? I would be surprised if he didn't start, given that he didn't feature last night. Um, yeah. Quite where exactly, uh, I'm not sure. But I imagine Gabriel will just come straight back in um, with Saliba. So could well be that he plays at left back. So um, we'll wait and see. I mean, it's one of those when, you know, when Ben White was starting at right back, we were going, well, how does Tommy Asu get back in the team? And Tommy Asu's getting back in the team in a place that we didn't necessarily expect. And, you know, I think this is what is very interesting about this team and this group of players is that, you know, there are options even when you go beyond the couple of players who are nominally natural in each position, there are still options for Mikel Arteta and he seems willing to to use them. Um, mm -hmm. Let's do this one from Fedora the Explorer. Oh, very good. Um, it's just in reference to what happened at the end of the game uh, or during the game against Liverpool, uh, Henderson and Gabriel, it seems to have gone away. Do we have any idea what's going on there? And... Um, yeah, well, I know we had a couple of questions saying sort of... Uh, I, I had a message of someone saying, had we deliberately skirted around I forgot. Here? I just forgot all about it because I was too busy enjoying the win over, over Liverpool. Yeah. So. And also, it's, it's quite difficult to talk about with any certainty because there isn't really any clarity about what's happened here. Um, whatever you may read on social media, uh, no, none of the parties involved are offering mm. anything at this point in time, like... Both clubs are saying, have sort of referred it to the FA and lips are very much sealed. Even the player camps don't want to talk about it, um, which may be telling in itself. Yeah. Um, obviously, it's uh, a, a situation that Arsenal saw sufficiently serious for it to be kind of elevated. And it's, I believe it's with the FA at this point in time. So I don't think it's that it's gone away. I think it's that they're still kind of doing the work and speaking to people and finding out what went on and what mm. was said. Um, obviously, we hope it's uh, not serious, yeah. you know, because that would be incredibly depressing if yeah, it was. I agree. I mean, the, the manager's reactions were were something as well, where I think Arteta yeah. said, can you repeat that? And then he repeated it and Jurgen Klopp was like, what? Um, so, yeah, I mean... Even if we had mentioned it last Sunday, again, all you can do is speculate. So I, I I suspect that we might hear something sooner rather than later. Be one of those things that we'll finish recording this podcast and then the FA will release a statement or something like that, yeah. uh, which will be fairly typical. Okay, let's do one final one. Speckled Jim, who says, uh, rumors of Martinelli wanting parity with some of the highest earners in the squad, tripling his current wage, feels a bit incongruous with what we know about him, but hard to argue that he doesn't deserve a substantial increase. Would you give it to him? I'm always wary about those, by the way. You know, those like, he's demanded this. Yeah. He's demanded, he whatever Gabriel Jesus, established Premier League winner, slightly older, more experienced Gabriel Jesus, he wants the same as him. You know, I'm always wary about sort of contract and transfer tittle-tattle. There are sort of buzzwords and things that, that people, they very rarely come out and repudiate that. You know what I mean? Like Martinelli's camp is not going to come out and say, well, we, we, we've never asked for that. You know, because they're out to get yeah. the best deal they can possibly get. That's normal. Um, so you can kind of throw that stuff around and know that it won't be, uh, there won't be much pushback on it. Exactly. And also, I think, like, if it's contradictory about what we think we know about his character, you've got to bear in mind, Martinelli's not going in and having one-to-one -one negotiations with, you know, Edu and Mikel and the board mm. himself. These are conversations happening with his representatives, right, who it's their job uh, to get as much as they can 
for their client. And, uh, you know, Arsenal are in an intriguing position, I do think, because, you know, they, they didn't really do any contract renewals in the summer. They focused on transfer business. Mm. But they're in a position now where kind of every deal they do, every new contract they do sets a degree of precedent. And I think it is reasonable that, for example, Martinelli's representatives might wait and see what Bukayo Saka has reported to earn and use that as a reference point. Hmm. Um, why would they not? You know, given their sort of relative importance to the team, their shared importance to the team. And I do think that he, you know, he is he has developed into an important first-team player. And... I think his representatives will be mindful of that and be eager to get him a very, very decent wage. Sure. But that's that's the game, you know, and, and whatever someone's demands are, it doesn't mean they always end up getting it. But the game of negotiation is that mm. you sometimes have to go in pretty high to end up, you know, where you think you might realistically settle. Sure. Um, I, but it's, it's an interesting time, though, I do think, for Arsenal, just because there's that balance between... You know, having worked so hard to bring the wage bill down, how do you control it when yeah. these young players start developing and becoming stars? Well, that's it. Um, that's part of the part of the job that Edu and Richard Garlick and, and these guys have, have got to do. Um, I think just a final point on that, when you say Martinelli has developed into a very good player, that's absolutely true. But he's also been developed into mm-hmm. a very good player and perhaps had to go through some periods of frustration when he wasn't playing as much as uh, he would have liked. But ultimately, as we've seen in other cases, slightly more patience when it comes to um, placing a burden on a young player can be rewarded because when you do start playing them, they're they're a bit more ready, if you like, to produce on a consistent basis. It's not that they're not capable of of delivering. It's the consistency that really sets... Uh, uh, a top Premier League player apart from another one, you know? Yeah, and I do think as well, just to sort of offer a word of reassurance, both Martinelli and Saka publicly have been pretty categoric about the fact that they're happy at Arsenal and they want to stay. And that's not always the case in a contract renewal. You know, sometimes players will be like, well, we'll see, or we'll talk about it at the end of the season. But these guys are actually coming out in front of the media and saying, I'm happy here, I want to be here, my future's here. That is a pretty secure position to be negotiating from. Mm. So if you do start to fret a little bit, um, you know, Arsenal are in a a decent position. Right. Okay. We will leave it there for this morning because uh, time is pressing. Uh, So thank you, James. Uh, You're not going to be around this week for the Arscast Extra because you're uh, going on holidays. I'm on holiday, yeah. Have a great time. Have Have a great great podcast. Thanks very much. I'll do my best. Um, Thank you for your your time this morning. And uh, yeah, we'll catch you next week after your your holidays. Okay. Well, let's never speak of this match again. Okay. (laughs) I I agree with that. I agree with that. (laughs) Bye-bye then. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
Thank you very much indeed to James. You know where to find him, and he will be back on the Arsecast Extra, the main, big, normal, substantial Arsecast Extra, next week when he returns from his holidays. Who are we playing? Is it Southampton? I think it's... Uh, all the games are getting mixed up in my head here, so I just have to look very quickly at the uh, the fixtures. It is going to be... yeah. After the Southampton game. So uh, James will be back for that. And hopefully he has a great time on his holidays. Now, you might remember last week we did a competition to give away an Arsenal polo shirt, a, a bruised banana polo shirt from our friends at Club Golf. I asked you to tell me which four words are present on the Club Golf website when you go and uh, have a look there. And they were retro-inspired golf apparel. That's what you needed to send in. And the random number generator has pulled out Joe Parks. So well done to you, Joe. I'll be in touch. I'll get your details and we will get that prize sent out to you. And if you like the look of the stuff on Club Golf on the clubgolf.uk website, we do have a discount code for you. You can use arsblog10 at checkout. That's arsblog10 at checkout and you get yourself 10% off. So thanks again to Club Golf and the website is clubgolf.uk. Right. Let's leave it there for this morning. We are going to have a Leeds preview podcast as we do for every Premier game we have a preview podcast over on patreon you can join us for that if you're already a member if you're not you can sign up it's just a five or a month it helps support everything that we do here on arsblog as well as giving you exclusive content discord chat and lots more it's patreon.com forward slash arsblog we will have the arsecast extra for you on sunday evening this week it won't be with james obviously but we will have it for you sunday evening after the leeds game and hopefully we can continue our good run and stay top of the premier league For now, though, we will leave it there and we will catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. Morning, in Peter Drury's house. This is courage. This is bravery. It goes beyond fortitude. Some might say, fivetitude. If this were a western, this young man would have true grit. It is a moment in time from which something magical has been produced. Ah, and there it is! You have to say... That's magnificent. Tea's ready, love. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.